You know what kind of day it was today? It was a day where I, on my way over here, I went to get a latte, right? At the gas station? Well, I usually see, see, I usually go to Cafetto, mm. which is a beautiful little coffee place right near me. That is a beautiful me. little coffee place. It's got place. little pirate ship paintings <gasps> on the it? wall. Why have we never yeah, gone there? Yeah, there's little pirates all over the place. Ugh, I love um, little, well, I shouldn't say I love little pirates. I tell everybody in publishing that I hate pirates. Well, you love these pirates because they're on the wall serving you lattes. I do like that. Um, and anyway, I usually go there, but today, today I went instead to the gas station across <laughs> the street because I was just in the mood for one of those like things you make out of the machine, right? Where you go and you just push. You're not even sure if it's coffee or not. You just kind of push the. You were in the mood for that. The like vanilla toffee button, you know, and it's just like, <laughs> and then it comes out. You get it like halfway, and then you and then you move it over one. Right. Oh man. And you move it over to like I don't what did I use today? I think it was like it was a lot of words. I think it was like white chocolate caramel something. Jesus. And, yeah, and I filled it up with that. And then you just top it off with like some actual coffee from like the little thing right there. Mm-hmm. And it costs like a dollar fifty, this like <laughs> giant monstrosity you've created. It was great. And I was like, you know what? This is the kind of day it is. This is the kind of day. Where I don't need the fancy coffee. I'm a man of the people today. I had a meeting at one of those fancy independent coffee shops today. And I get there uh-huh. for my meeting at 3.30 uh-huh. on a Monday afternoon, yeah. right? And I order tea. Uh-huh. And then the guy goes, we're closing in half an hour. Can I give it to you in a to-go cup? I was like, I came here to get a fancy-ass pot of tea. <laughs> I came you, here. Did you turn down the to-go cup? No, I got a to-go oh, cup. Oh, man, it would have been way better if you had But then so we're there. And, like, mug. normally, like, a coffee shop, when they close, like, everybody goes about the cleaning business or whatever. No, 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 no. Yeah. They started cleaning half an hour before they closed. And right on the dot at 4 o'clock, they came Just over to, like, out. me and my person. Wow. And they were like, you have to leave. Wow. And I was like, Crazy. this is not in the spirit of a coffee shop. What time was this? Four o'clock. So, like, yeah, no, everyone hates drinking tea at four o'clock. So it's definitely good business to kick you guys out there. <sighs> nice. And the best part is that it was like a British Isles style mm. coffee shop, and it's just like it is tea time. Yeah, you no, should be giving saying. me a yeah. scone discount yeah. right now. Right. Mm. Like was... a scone happy hour. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Half off on all scones. Afternoon tea. They yeah. have great scones. Why are they not giving me if a I discount? If I knew there was half off on all scones, I would absolutely be at that place every day, but I don't think Yeah, no, they close instead because they don't want you to eat their scones. <sighs> Shit. We should be welcome the people to our show. I mean, yeah, we probably. Welcome to this episode of Print Run. My name is Eric Kane, and with me as always is Laura Zatz. Say hello, Laura. Hello, everyone. Um, we've got some pretty fun things to talk about today because we were off last week. How are you feeling, by the way? Um, I'm hydrated now. Okay, good. That's that's good. That's yeah, a good that's fundamental key. thing to take care of. <laughs> um, so today is December 4th. Um, and before we get into the many wonderful things I'm sure we'll discuss, um, how about just kind of the basic rundown, huh? Yeah. So it is December, which means that you are probably thinking about the people in your life and you are probably thinking about doing nice things for them. Well, we're in your life and we're in your ears, so you should do something. 
good. Yeah, this is good. This is good. This is good. Shut we're, up, Eric. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. We're keeping it. <laughs> we are in your life, yeah. and we would really love it if you would support the show by leaving us a review. Yeah. Also, if you're a writer, we want to give you something nice, and so we have an entire year's backlog of special, like, writer-focused content on Patreon mm-hmm. that you can get access to. Query shows, first pages, critiques, all of the above. So head on over to patreon.com and give us a look over there. That's an incredible transition. I Thank thought you were going to like say something, I don't know, about December or something. And then you, I'll tell you who likes presents, folks. <laughs> we do. <laughs> you should tell the people about December. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's the holidays now. Yep. Right. Um, so as those of us, <clears throat> those of you who follow us online at Print Run Podcast on Twitter, um, you'll notice that we've started doing some festive holiday editing tips as part of our month-long follow-up to National Novel Writing Month. Um, so look for those. I mean, we've been putting them under the hashtag Decembo, um, which makes about as much acronym sense as National Novel Writing Month does. So we're not sorry about calling it that. But um, join us online for some festive editing and some, I like to think, some good cheer, yeah. too. I also <laughs> should mention that if uh, if if Twitter is not giving you the good cheer that you desire, yeah. you can head over to Decembo.org. I like that it's an org. It is an Well, they didn't have Decembo.com. <laughs> so. good. It makes it sound way more bootleg. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's Decembo.org, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, where you can see a collection of the whole month's tips mm-hmm. um, and kind of get your memes all in one place without logging yeah. on to the hellscape. Yeah. Um, so either one works. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What else is happening in December? Holiday parties. Yes. Well, so you you brought up something I interesting. Did bring, I did bring it up, didn't I? This year um, uh, or today specifically uh-huh. is that, okay, so we're, we're in a very uh, big publishing community, uh-huh. second only to New York City yeah. in the United States. Is, I, I actually, is that true? I think it's true. It's true if we say it's true. It's definitely like, true. Like I think the way to make it true is to just start saying it a bunch yeah. and like have other people say it. No, I think I'm pretty sure it's definitely yeah. true. Okay. Like I am ninety nine point nine nine eight percent sure it's true. Yeah, I think Boston's going to come for you, but maybe um, Boston has a tendency to yell at everybody. So yeah, well, that's fine. yeah, I'd be, I'm I'm ready for it. Yeah. Um, but so one thing we we thought about is so you're 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 a transplant from from mm, New York yeah. publishing scene. Yeah. One thing that we are not having in our Minnesota publishing scene is like ridiculous holiday parties. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's see I See I think folks, you I think you misphrased it. I folks, think what you meant to say was that we haven't been invited. Yeah, I was going to say folks, <laughs> this is a whole thing. I'm a very jealous person. Those those of you who are listening yeah. should should know that about yeah. me already and yeah. I didn't know that this was something I needed to be mad yeah. at yeah. or like jealous about until you mentioned that there are probably fancy holiday parties <clears throat> that we're just not getting invited to. Um and now I'm furious. Well, this is how this is how I it came into my head. Obviously, it didn't come into my head because of any invites we received. Um, my holiday party <laughs> calendar is open. Please invite us. We're a lot of fun, I like to think. Um, we are fun. But the reason it came up is because every single person in book and media Twitter will not shut up about the parties that they are, like, pretending to not care that much about going to. They're like, oh, I guess I could go to this thing. It's just like – it's just an insufferable time of year for people in like 
writing and publishing and magazines and stuff. And like my whole feed is just clogged with people like passive aggressively talking about the things they may or may not go to. And it, it really everybody loves a holiday port- party, specifically holiday parties by media, like media. Which publishers. they're not even that good at parties, I feel like. They're better than everybody else's, though. Can you imagine, like, going to a party at, like, an accounting firm? Oh, maybe. I bet there are some good accounting parties. I mean, sure. But I think on the whole— They've got more money than us, like, as an yeah. industry. Yeah, but— Theoretically, they could have some better but stuff But we drink party. more. Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> we sure do. <laughs> do you know, um, <laughs> one other thing I, that kind of got me mad— this mm. this holiday season, besides not being invited to parties, is that Penguin apparently like has a hotline for book recommendations. That got you mad? It got me a little I bit love mad. The hotline. Because well, I, I love the hotline, but I hate the logo because it is a black and white <laughs> bird with a red accent and it's way cuter than ours. And similar and similar to our verifiable fact that Minneapolis is the second biggest publishing market. Um, it's definitely also true that Penguin copied our logo. Yes. Um, so um, they'll be getting they'll be getting paperwork from us soon. Um, as you know, I like to think that we are the only publishing bird on the market, so yeah. they can they can cease and desist immediately. Is what is what I can say. Uh, how come they didn't have to change their little logo to a house? Like a little, maybe a little penguin in the house? You know? Yeah. I, like I don't know. I, my but. my question is if Penguin is having this like yeah. to be frank, this perfectly charming like. Everybody in the Penguin offices, like even the accountant people, the people in shipping, the mail people, like they're all taking turns at this hotline. Yeah. Basically where you you email them something specific about like what this person in your life likes yeah, and they'll for, send you personal recommendations. I did this for Stephen King today. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> what did the recommendation say? Oh, I haven't gotten my uh, gotten Well, my we'll share yet. that online. Yeah. But my question is, is like. Is Random House just, like, in the corner, just, like, not buying books for anybody? Yeah. Like, is Random House the Scrooge the, of the— grumpy the... uncle at the holiday party. Yeah. yeah. And, like, Penguin's, like, the fun, like, flirty, like, aunt that everyone likes. Yeah. Something I don't know. like that. That actually pleases me quite a bit. No, it's fun. I mean, I think that you guys, everyone should go do it, by the way. Um, they're linking to it all over the place. It's not particularly hard to find. But, like, yeah, you just, like, type in— a bunch of book stuff, I mean, who it's for, um, you know, what their interests are. And, you know, they send you a list of things that maybe you'd like, which I think, um, you know, we were talking about this beforehand. And I think that it's great because it's just like a good reminder that most people in publishing do this because they just really like talking about books with other people. Like even, even beyond just like reading or even being a writer or anything like that, like the reason most people get into publishing, I think, is because they just really, really enjoy like talking about whatever it is they're, you know, reading. And like I think that that simple act kind of put into this, it really, I don't know, there's always a lot of bleak publishing news, especially around this time of the year. And it it felt kind of, it always feels nice to like get a handwritten, you know, not handwritten, but like I guess hand Written by hand. Yeah, written by a person, you know. Um, So I, I always think... That it's kind of good. Yeah, I'm. I frankly am charmed by it. It's nice. <clears throat> it's nice for a gigantic publisher to, you know, still in this day and age, kind of like yeah. acknowledge that their business exists because people talk about books with other people. Yeah. And you know what? That's lovely. <laughs> I know I came into this segment saying that <laughs> I was mad at parties, it. Yeah. I'm mostly just mad at their logo, but yeah. like that is lovely. Yeah. Mm. Their logo is better than ours, though. I will say that. No. Their bird's, like, very expressive. 
It's so cute. He's got all this, he's got all this little wonder in his eyes. Ugh, you know? I'm just like, I love it so much. That's why I hate Like, I'm yeah. so mad at it. I just want to, like, squish his little face. Yeah. Anyway. Like, give him a nice home <laughs> and feed him biscuits. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what else happens in the holidays, Laura. Yeah. And that's bad sex. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've got um, the bad sex awards got given out. That happens every um, year. It happens. And it's always a surprise. And yeah. it's always great. Yeah. Um, so what we've got, we've got winners, right? Didn't somebody yeah. win this? So, yeah. So the bad sex awards real quick. Yeah. Um, give us, it's, give us it's what it a, is. it is, um, I know we've talked before about the man Booker being like the preeminent, like UK prize of literature, it's you not, know, followed yeah. by the orange or whatever that it's this, Yeah. it's this, Correct. like the, um, speaking of like things I want to be invited to in publishing, um, the, there were 400 guests at a lavish award ceremony mm-hmm. last week um, to award the Bad Sex in Fiction Award. Um, and I want to go to there. I want to go to there. It does seem like it might be – I mean it sounds like the crowd that really likes like a good romance convention might also like this, you know, yeah. in sort of an ironic way. Like this is kind of the yeah. – Irony poisoning. Well, the of... funny the funny thing is that the um, the the people that are always up for this award are like very serious and well respected <coughs> literary like literary fiction yeah, that's authors. What makes it good. Yeah, yeah. And so this is like a very like sumptuous, lavish ceremony, and I'm very jealous. But so anyway, the the winner of the Bad Sex and Fiction Award is The Destroyers by Christopher Bolin. Now, so before we read it, let's just like. The way they give this out is just like the worst description of sex yes. in a book. Yes. Right? <laughs> or just like the most what are the, often the criteria, right? Like just anatomical incorrectness yeah, is a even, great one. Or or not even incorrectness. It's just like you know it when you see it. So <laughs> I'm I'm instead of like kind of trying to parse the yeah, rules yeah, yeah, for yeah. you, it's I'm just, to just gonna get into it. I'm gonna read you the uh the winning yeah, selection. It, yeah, or just like a little excerpt of it here, yeah. Okay, this is from The Destroyers, um, and it has – this is a scene between the, the, the main character, Ian, and a former flame. Mm-hmm. You ready? I'm ready. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. She covers her breasts with her swimsuit. The rest of her remains so delectably – oh, I should mention that this is not safe for work. Put your headphones on, everyone. <laughs> well, hold on now. No, 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 no. Actually, I'm fascinated with this. Are there people at work who play this out loud? Maybe? I like to think so. I like to think there's like people at like some high-end – like archi- I'm picturing an architecture firm with big open windows – Right, like, and there's like a big table where they're like yeah. discussing buildings and skyscrapers, and then like in the background is like us like cackling about, um, you know, this unspeakable passage. Yeah. You're about well, to read. either way, um, if you can't handle blue prose, <laughs> cover your ears for the next uh, few minutes, and if you can, put your headphones in so your neighbor doesn't think that you are ridiculous. And if you're an architect, write us at printrunpodcast at <laughs> gmail. At gmail.com. Okay, I'm going to start again. Mm -hmm. She covers her breasts with her swimsuit. The rest of her her remains so delectably exposed. The skin along her arms and shoulders are different shades of tan like water stains in a bathtub. Mm. (laughs) Sorry. That's just so romantic. Her face and vagina are competing for my attention. 
So I glanced down at the billiard rack of my penis and testicles. <laughs> so that's it. Dude, that's really oh, good. It's so good. That's how you know that that guy fucks a lot. Yeah, it's like I can't, I can't decide if I yeah. want to look at her, so I'm just gonna look at me. The, it's just that, and that is what. So the reason I think that um, the thing that does it for me in these passages, like what makes a winner for the bad sex word, is always just like a terrible. And misplaced image. Water you know? stains. Water stains is a in great a bathtub. One. Yeah. <laughs> and a billiard gets, rack. Nothing gets the old engine going like water stains in a bathtub. What's really fun about the billiard rack imagery is also that as soon as the balls are racked up, they're they're hit really hard. <laughs> um, it's misguided. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You yeah. you had you had another favorite. Oh yeah, though. we've got a couple others too. We have some excerpts from the finalists. We love, we should actually I wish we should do some bets for this too. That, oh, um, that'd be great. But um, yeah, no, I had one. This is from as as a god might be. I think is the name of this book, and it's by Neil Griffiths, who definitely has a lot of sex. Here we go. <laughs> Looking down, she unbuckled his belt. We're grown-ups. Perhaps he wasn't quite in the moment because he thought of Kierkegaard and Socrates. <laughs> Hell yeah. If there wasn't great wisdom gained by lust, by love, its consummation, the aesthetics of all this, then you were doing it wrong. Kiss me again. So what's great about that, obviously, is that, like, in the middle of, you know, intimate relations, it's important to impress your date with uh, facts and logic. Yeah. And the deep philosophies of some of our greatest Western thinkers. Yeah. Um, That's how you know it's going really well. So my favorite, yeah. my favorite uh, finalist is very similar to that yeah. one. Um, this is the one that I think got the most traction on the Twitter machine. Mm-hmm. This is from The Seventh Function of Language by Laurent Benet. He puts his hands on Bianca's shoulders and slips off her low-cut top. Suddenly inspires, he whispers into her ear as if to himself, I desire the landscape that is enveloped in this woman. A landscape I do not know, but that I can feel. And until I have unfolded that landscape, I will not be happy. Bianca shivers with pleasure. Simon whispers to her with an authority that he has never felt before. Let's construct an assemblage. Yeah, checks out. Yeah. Sounds good to me. So (laughs) if you... We're just going to leave this here and let you, you know, kind of draw your own conclusions. But if if construct uh, your own assemblages, <laughs> yeah, from this. If uh, if you enjoyed this few minutes covering the Bad Sex Awards, um, stay tuned because uh, we are going to have a special episode where we are going to be reading passages from the um, the works of E. L. James. I think it's probably time for us to just to transition to pivot. As they yeah, say, to pivot. a lot of pivot jokes in media Twitter these days. Um, we can pivot to being just an erotica critique podcast. Yeah. That would probably. I don't know if we can do better than my dad wrote a porno, though. <laughs> would they get us? Is there a chart that we could get on? Like if we started doing nothing but critiquing sex scenes and written, would they at least let us on that chart? Because I'm still mad that we're not on the book I don't know. chart. I don't know. Yeah. We can hire that teenager yeah, yeah, yeah. that you were talking about um, <laughs> yeah. and find out. Yeah. Anyway, so watch out for that because we're going to be reading a whole bunch of other stuff uh, yeah. that is too blue for work. We're adults with real jobs. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is the real thing we're going to be talking about yeah. today. All this we've we've been having the a good time. Assemblage we're going to construct <laughs> together. But um, something happened. 
It was what was it on Thanksgiving? The day after Thanksgiving? Um, day before maybe November twenty second, twenty seventeen. Right, um, a day that will live in infamy. Um, this happened, and I remember getting incredibly excited. I was like, "This is this sort of thing is the reason that prayer run exists." You this were exact, you were texting me about like, this entire. And it, so yeah. of course you got the flu, and of course we had to wait a week because it was too perfect. Like this, uh, the sun. We had flown, 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 flown. We'd flown too close, too close to the sun, and. But but we should really we should really talk about the meltdown that happened from the guy who runs Tyrant Books, right? Um, m- mostly because it's funny, um, but also because I think and I think you agreed with me here that he was expressing an opinion that, while packaged completely um, absurdly in this little Twitter rant he went on, um, does actually like there are people in the world who think. You know, similarly to this, or it touches on some feelings that I think a lot of people in publishing have, and I think it's kind of worth un- unpacking. But it all started with this, right? And this is from the 22nd, uh, from their official Tyrant Books account. We got this. Dear agents, please stop sending inquiries to Tyrant. We no longer consider agented writers, writers with our, and then it says, writers with agents, feel free to send. Just know you have to drop your agent if we want to sign you. Thanks, Tyrant staff. So book Twitter handled that as reasonably, so you could expect. No one was <laughs> mad. Everyone actually was just laughing. Uh, <laughs> but what was your response to that? Obviously, you're an agent. Yes. Um, my initial response to that is that that is <clears throat> a huge red flag. Yeah. It's very yeah. predatory. Certainly. Well, so unpack that because this is, this is where things went. With okay. this rant. Yep. Yeah. So my inclination um, is, of course, like I see my job as somebody who is an advocate for writers. Uh-huh. You know, like yeah. I'm somebody who gets to be mean when the writers want to have that good relationship. Yeah. You know, I'm the one that can track down a missing royalty statement or, you know, make sure that um, certain things happen according to the contract. Can that, you um, – yeah. Can you say, can you clarify for the listeners what you mean by being mean to preserve the relationship? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that that is a key clarification. Um, a lot of the time, there are kind of speed bumps in a book's production or a book's marketing or something, um, and that that becomes a very that it becomes a very difficult relationship for a writer to to navigate, mm-hmm. um, especially if it's their first time. You know, when something goes <clears> wrong <throat> and it's beyond the writer's control and the writer notices something or something, you know, kind of bad happens, they're usually still in the middle of edits or they're still, like, doing something... Something creative. Creative. Yeah. Right. And so a lot of the time it's imperative to that creative process to keep a positive relationship between you, the writer, and your editor so that, like, yeah. good things still happen with this book. But if while that's happening, you know, like something else goes wrong, right, um, I get to help you preserve that relationship and kind of that like positive, creative mm-hmm. dynamic mm-hmm. by being the one who kind of deals with all that business shit. So these are the next two things he provided as I guess his quote unquote rationale. But um, if anyone is familiar with the situation, it spiraled out of control pretty quickly. But before it did, we got this. 
A writer is free to consult an agent, lawyer, etc. about anything concerning a contract with Tyrant, but then I prefer to keep it a two-person relationship. Tyrant's entire history is finding unknown writers and my friends, publishing them, making them famous, then an agent comes along and destroys the friendship. So there's a lot in there yep. that I think is worthy of critique. And this is <coughs> this is the thing, um, because I read that first one, this very first tweet about, you know, agents, you know, don't send us inquiries. And obviously the bit about having to drop your agent is ridiculous and that on its – there's no – scenario where like that would be something you would ever ask like like, that's ridiculous but it is not totally unheard of and a lot of people like started to cape up against this guy about the idea that well every publisher should totally love working with agents at all times and that like maybe that's true but there are legitimate reasons I know having worked for several or more than one press that kind of viewed agents as not always the perfectly benevolent force they present themselves to be online so Talk a little bit about why, like specifically why a press, specifically a smaller press, would not prefer you to have an agent. Well, some of the reasons are bad. And what we got from this, um, I think, is that a lot of these reasons were bad from this guy, right? Because, um, I don't know, like here, you know, preferring to keep it a two-person relationship starts to kind of suggest that – you know, he doesn't really want to deal with someone in a professional manner, especially when we get here, you know, when his gripe is that an agent comes along and and destroys the friendship, he says yeah. here, right, which is ridiculous on its face because it's not a friendship, or at least it shouldn't be once you have a book contract involved. It's a business relationship, right? Like it's something that um, needs to be handled professionally and would probably be well served by having someone exactly as you just described, someone who's there to... Um, handle the business so that the friendship or whatever good feeling there is between a writer and an editor, um, you know, can kind of stay preserved, right? Um, <clears throat> I guess, like, what I've seen sometimes for why small press is like, and I'm thinking, um, you know, I worked at a pretty big, you know, academic house, right? Like, I worked at Oxford University Press. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I mean, first of all, didn't deal with that many agents, right? Because a lot of most academics don't have book agents. Um, it's kind of just a different world. But um, they always liked dealing directly with the author because there was less like – there were less commercial pressure. You know, there was less worry about, you know, sales and money and all this kind of stuff and the focus could then instead be on producing an academically viable work, producing – you know, going at the pace – you know, that we made sense with, you know, scheduling and things, you know, like sometimes a publisher wants to, you know, make think time things with a conference and that conference isn't always as, um, you know, commercially viable as publishing something in the fall. You know what I mean? Like there's lots of, there's lots of things that happen in academic publishing, for instance, that don't necessarily take commerce as, um, it's their number one priority. And sometimes those things, are harder to explain to an agent whose job it is once we enter into these relationships to kind of make sure that, you know, the book is getting its best commercial shot at all times. And so sometimes it felt like an agent who um, was not an academic by trade, was not as invested in the, you know, American historian community or like where I was working on the evolutionary biology community, you know, like these, these, um, academic circles, you know, these very personal circles where, um, you know, like an editor at Oxford might have deep relationships, right? Like they probably know these authors better than 
um, agents do when they and they kind of get considered interlopers, right? And interlopers without the true vision of the project in mind right. is kind of becomes the idea. But that's obviously very situational and specific. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, at small presses, it feels like um, an agent will come in. And this is where I think probably at least some of, you know, if I'm giving this guy the most charitable reading he's ever going to get, and he, as we're going to find out, he probably doesn't really deserve one. But um, situationally, agents sometimes want small presses to act like something other than small presses. You know, like an agent when they're talking to writers, you know, they'll all, they'll have that all that line and stuff about like, well, yeah, we want, you know, we we're gonna shop you to the big five, and then we're gonna do this, and then eventually maybe we'll find a smaller press, and it'll be perfect for you there. And that is probably true, but once they sell a book to a small press, I feel like a lot of the time agents can start trying to, and they should do this, by the way. I'm not even saying that they shouldn't. Like I get where this comes from, but they start trying to make that, you know, whoever it is. They try to make them into a random house, you know, because they say, hey, where's the publicity budget for this? Why aren't we doing this? Where's the, um, you know, the big, large scale campaign? You know, why, I need a higher advance. Why hasn't, a, well, yeah, why hasn't the, you know, um, well, I mean, the advance is one thing and that's definitely a part of it. But like even once the book's been signed up, it's like sometimes resources are limited and sometimes, um, you know, like small press editors, I, I will say this. I think small press editors have to work really, really hard to maintain their author relationships, right? Like it's very intimate. It's very kind of us against everyone, right? Because you're not promised these big things. So like a lot of things, um, you know, a lot of editors at these places, you know, they have a real talent for, um, you know, becoming sort of the author advocate in a way you might often think of the agent as being, you know, and they're the ones who, you know, are going home, you know, after work and creating the marketing flyer and putting together the pitch list and doing these things that you would normally ascribe to other roles in a publishing company, but because it's a small press, they don't necessarily have those, you know? And so you get people working all this extra time and then they present this work and it's like all this good feeling. And then the agent comes in and says, well, what about all these other things we haven't done yet? And it can tend to sour through the expectation game. It can You can tend to sour an author on an editorial relationship, even when it probably didn't have to be Yeah. sometimes. Now, none of that is to say that what the leg this guy is trying to stand on is necessarily viable because I don't think it is because based on the context and based on what we saw um, with the specific author and book he was referring to, um, it sounded like he just wanted to, um, you know, get one over on people. He wanted more favorable terms. And that's um, why I think in – the vast majority of cases you probably like saying, hey, we don't want agents to come by is probably just predatory. And so yeah. I think that, you know, we've said it. Uh, so I've said it now once. You've said it before. Let's talk about what predatory means. Like why Like why is it a red flag? Like if he says, I don't want to work with agents, like what? I mean, it sounds bad. Like it sounds like, you know, okay, well, that sounds aggressive and mean. But like why is that a bad thing? Like what happens when agents aren't involved? <laughs> so there are a lot of things in a book contract that seem perfectly reasonable yeah. um, until you realize that they are not at all like industry standard mm-hmm. um, and that it entirely like crimps your future. Yep. Um, so for instance, um, having a small press that has never – Ever, nor will probably ever exploit any sort of foreign or subright, um, taking all your rights 
from you kind mm-hmm. of so that you kind of can't explore translation or explore um, different markets. That's that's a way that mm-hmm. they're predatory. Also, um, really, really low royalties. Yes, that's right. A big one. That's a huge one. There's also kind of really predatory like option clauses Options, where like yeah. you have to give me your next book. There's also um, yeah, there that's bad. You can get you can lose a lot of approval power. Yeah. Without um, you know like you know like I think um, when you know authors, especially first time authors, think about the publishing process, they don't necessarily understand the things that get fought for up yeah. front, such as, hey, you can't you, you can't use that book cover unless I think it's good. Yeah. Right? Like that feels very basic that you would show that you would make sure the author liked the book cover. But like that's that's a negotiated point a yeah. lot of the time. And there's a lot of things like that. Like, you know, hey, I get to see the proofs a second time if I want to. Yeah. You know, all these little things that, you know, sometimes a publisher just doesn't want to deal with that isn't in their like boilerplate language. One but, thing that also gets into contracts that agents usually have to push for are time limits and mm-hmm. kind of like what if scenarios. Yeah. So um, agents will make sure that. It is like necessary that okay. So not to get too deep into things, but there are yeah. um, publishing kind of happens on a leg. You get paid on a leg, right? And there are things that publishers keep called remainders, which are like bits of your royalties that they keep just in case of returns or something, and they usually keep it for a while. Mm-hmm. Without an agent pushing for a time limit on remainders, um, a small publishing company might hold fifty, literally fifty to seventy-five percent of your earnings yep. without ever having a timeline where where yep. they need to give them back. Yep. They will also, you know, a small press is a lot more likely to fold, and if a small press mm-hmm. folds and there's not a right reversion clause in there about like you getting paid all of the money that's due to you and getting all of the files and having the option to buy your remaining printed books and kind of getting those rights back. Book dies. Book dies and it's gone and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. So that, I mean, like that are all things, you know, most of the time they don't happen. Yeah. But when they do, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And... So one of one of the things that I noticed in this exchange uh-huh. is, you know, a lot of people were calling Tyrant Books predatory. Yeah, everyone you know? got mad pretty quick. Everyone got right. mad at Tyrant Books, which yeah. is completely understandable for yeah. all the reasons that we also said. Yeah. Um, but one thing I wasn't really expecting uh, that happened is a lot of authors uh-huh. were defending Tyrant Books uh-huh. by demonizing agents. So you weren't expecting that. I don't think I thought it through I was expecting all that. the way. As someone who's worked on the other side of things a little <laughs> bit, that made perfect sense to me. <laughs> yeah. So there were a whole bunch of writers saying, yeah. you know, this isn't predatory. Agents are predatory. Yeah. Um, and I, I have been, I mean, obviously I'm an agent, obviously I'm biased, uh-huh. but I was thinking a lot about why an author would think that. Sure, of course, there are predatory agents out there. There are people that call themselves agents who will take your money and say that they're going to pitch you to a big house and then they won't. And then you're just out thousands and thousands of the dollars. taking your money. So that's a pretty extreme thing. Yes. Like you just pointed out. And that kind of we've talked, you know, we talked about that a couple episodes ago. There's no reason to give an agent money if they're going to be your agent. You know what I mean? Like a lot of agents, you know, do like freelance stuff and the sides and you know, if it's unrelated to your work with them and your representation, you know, whatever. But like 
you, know, you should not be paying anyone to represent you, and that can sometimes happen. So that's obviously a big predatory one. But I think like what makes like the reason agents get called predatory sometimes, right? And like I think there's kind of like if you think of like the stereotypes, right? Like it's like usually someone who's really super careerist. It's the sort of person who like you know, kind of, you know, they're a mover and a shaker, right? Like, it's like the job is to kind of just maintain all these relationships and like try to get the last little bit of, you know, cash out of each one of them, you know, all these little things um, that like the quote unquote bad agent, you know, is doing. And I guess, you know, predatory is strong. I don't think I've ever thought of an agent as predatory toward an author, but like, you know, like from that Oxford University Press example, like even like the trade authors, like there's sometimes they're viewed as like unnecessary interlopers, yeah. you know, or like, you know, sometimes, you know, an editor, you know, I've, I've, you know, seen instances where like an editor will wonder aloud, you know, in-house internally, what is this person doing to get their cut? You know, like this author would have gotten the deal with us anyway, that we would have done all the same things. And instead they're just in my inbox all day yelling and while also yeah. taking 15%, you know, and like those aren't necessarily – like we're talking about perceptions here. I'm not saying yeah. that those feelings are founded or totally justified. Like I think you and I are in both in very strong agreement that um, anyone who doesn't want to work with an agent most likely doesn't want to out of reasons that are not particularly author-friendly, right? Um, but I think it comes from the idea that um, it's like a you're just like taking without providing any value. Yeah, right? it's, it's the perception. Yeah, it's the perception that – agents are parasitic rather than symbiotic. Yeah. So like an agent author relationship when it's working right is very, um, it is just like a beautiful example of symbiosis, right? Like mm-hmm. they're each helping each other. They're, you know, like everybody, you know, we get 15% off the top and you know, that lets us survive and shit, yeah. yeah, exactly. And then, and then you get to be a writer and not have to do all these other, this other yeah. stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that's really at the heart of it because my initial like usually as an agent when people are mad at agenting they're not really mad at agenting they're just mad at the process they're mm-hmm. mad at the idea that publishing has built in nose to it right mm-hmm. and so there's yeah. you know we've talked about this a million times before but the whole gatekeeper mentality yeah. right yeah. and there has to be. Another reason why authors are in many cases against agents, and it's not just because we're turning them down. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, I, I, I definitely think that the way that publishing is going, our jobs are changing. Yeah. Um, it's not always that people need us. And, you know, like I, I know I, I work on a lot of fiction and I have a lot of authors who are hybrid authors. You know, they work with me for some books and they self-publish others, um, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, I like to keep that flexibility, but that, that symbiosis in a lot of ways, if, if the agents aren't being careful and if the authors aren't being careful, um, can get really parasitic really fast. Well, so I think some of that, I think you're right. And I think some of that parasitic, at least the perception of agents being parasitic, comes off what I think is part of the other substance of this guy's claim that agents are bad. Because basically, one thing that he's saying is that agents place commercial interests over creative ones, right? He's saying that 
Um, you know, an agent wants you wants a writer to do the thing that's going to make the most money, as opposed to writing the best book or writing the best project for their creative pursuits. Like he wants it to be, he you know whoever the agent is, he or she wants it to be a um, commercial pursuit rather than an artistic one. And it changes. You know, he's here talking about you know losing friends and all these things. Like clearly, he had this kind of artistic vision for how all this was going, which again is a terrible way to run a publishing house, but. <laughs> Yeah, publishing your friends is a really but, bad way to run a business. No, it's a great way to run a business as long as you have professional relationships with them as you, when you're working in, with them in that capacity. You can't have – like I'm your friend, but when we come to work, we work. You know yeah, what I mean? Like true. it's It's not bad to do things with your friends. It's bad to use that fr- personal friendship to, as a leverage to get better negotiating terms on the business end of things. Like yeah. that's the problem here. The, the friendships – the agents destroyed my friendships is just – evidence of the fact that Tyrant Books is not a place where people have professional relationships as well as personal ones. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just tricky. But like um, that's kind of the – that's that's that last little bit of perception, right, is that we just want – you know, Scott, we just want the advance to be as high as possible and throw everything else out. We don't care if the editor is the right fit. We don't care if the house is the right fit. We don't care if the, the author has – you know, we've made the author write something they didn't necessarily love. As long as it's the most saleable, we don't care. And I'm, obviously that's not true, I don't think. No. But it might be true for like 5% yeah. of the books. Yeah. But that's like not you, true for anyone I know. It's just like it's one – you know, an agent is one more person giving advice about your creative career, you know. And there are always like – I mean, everyone in existence, all of us, have gotten bad career advice from someone, you know? And it just so happens that an agent's job is to give career advice a lot of the time. Like, that's part of the job. And when it's bad, it tends to feel really bad. And you look back at it and you're like, man, why did I listen to that person who I led into my, you know, business? And I don't know. It's it's tricky, though. But um, all this was before um, our friend here. What I mean, at one point, he – there was a dick pic, wasn't there? Uh, it was a ball sack. It was a ball sack. Excuse me. It was two billiard balls. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah no, just, got, just tweeted to the haters. Yeah, yeah, he tweeted out his genitals to the haters. That was great. That was a nice addition to the discourse. I was not expecting um, that. Uh, getting, you know, while my, while my pumpkin pie was baking <laughs> in the oven. Yeah, that was wild. Um, and then what he started calling himself the Antifa of publishing. Which oh, I thought God. was which I thought was a little bit crazy because I guess like we're the we're the fascists then like I, we're the ones who I I don't know I don't really understand the metaphor. You know what? But, it doesn't really matter. It um, doesn't really matter. <laughs> when he, but like what I, what I did like though is that he <laughs> he managed the crisis like you're supposed to, right? You remain logged on. You keep posting. You never log off. And you just keep going, and eventually, suddenly, you're putting your genitals online, and you're just shouting about who even knows what. You're, I mean, at one point, he was discussing his cocaine habits with prior authors. Really? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. These, are, I mean, he hasn't deleted any of these. I can go see the tweets, but like, I think the ball sack was deleted. Oh, he did. Hmm. No, I think I think Twitter might have removed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, um, but uh, yeah, no, it got wild. It was it a lot got- of fun. It got wild and it was a lot of fun, but there I think I think the big takeaway is that we're not just, you know, talking about this because like a publisher showed us their their ball sack on, well, on this Twitter. Is the, this is the yeah. Um Yeah, it it, it it speaks to a lot of really, you know, kind of 
valid, not always completely valid, but, you know, like understandably valid mm-hmm. opinions yeah. um, in publishing. And I don't know. I don't know. I want to I, – I'm curious what's going to happen to you Tyrant ha- Books coming up. You have to drop your agent to work with us is not a valid publishing opinion. No, I would no, argue. that's not. I think that um, – I think that having a slight distrust of agents is a fine publishing opinion yeah. in certain situations. You on should the have pu- a distrust of everybody on in the publishing. Pu- on the part of a small – on the part of the small press, that I think situationally is an okay opinion. That is not the opinion that this guy had, however. Um, but yeah, man, what a what an you episode this is. You were not <laughs> expecting us to start with billiard balls and end with billiard balls, were you? It's called it's Listener. called transition, folks. It's called motifs, themes. <laughs> Read about them. <laughs> we should probably um, stop talking about tyrant books and get to this week's pub tip. Mm-hmm. Hashtag pub tip. Um, you might be surprised to know um, that very often our pub tips are our right tips. So they're about, you know, writing and editing and kind of how to make your craft better. Mm-hmm. How to make your craft better this week is to get in on Decembo. Yeah. Just come check us out on Twitter. And we wouldn't say, I mean, obviously that we always think that that's true, but it's especially true this month because we are trying to, you know, I mean, at, by the end, we will have put up. 31, I think, substantive, yeah. uh, you know, bits of editing advice for the, your... The idea with Decembo um, is that we're all really busy. Yeah. You know, we're kind of headed into the holidays. There's lots of, like, weird pockets of free time and then followed by, like, no free time at all. Um, and so we wanted to give you a festive editing treat. But also, <laughs> like, these are 31 days of, like, not insubstantial but yeah. v- small enough tips for you to tackle day to day um, with, you know, perhaps a few laughs. um, And at the end of it, you will have a a manuscript that is that is better. And that is kind of absent of all of the things that agents and publishers and editors Mm -hmm. hate. Yeah. Um, So get in on it. Hashtag Decembo. We're doing our right tips online this month. Yeah. So come join us there. Yep. All of all of the things that we know are going into meme form. Yeah, I put the loon's head on a Christmas sweater today. It's <laughs> it's not a good situation, but come join us. Yeah. So <laughs> remember, if you um, want a little bit more specific feedback, you can always send us your first page or your query letter to us at printrunpodcast at gmail.com for critique on our special episodes. And we will see you next week. Bye.